Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. So guys, I am so excited for what we have going on this week. Put on your comfy sweatpants and order a pizza, because this week might be the girls' night of all girls' nights. Here's why. In today's episode, we're talking about our bodies as women. Specifically, we're answering a whole bunch of the questions we all have about our bodies that most of us are either too shy, too embarrassed, or too uncomfortable to ask. This is going to be awesome. So the reason we're talking about this at Girls' Night this week is because this is something my girlfriends and I actually talk about at our Girls' Nights in Real Life. We talk about tampons, about our boobs, about waxing, and a million other things. And you know what? I'm so glad. Because our bodies are tricky and confusing and sometimes feel really embarrassing. And they feel even more embarrassing when we think we're the only ones asking these questions. But we're not. And that's why I love talking about these things at Girls' Nights and why I wanted to talk about these things here at our Girls' Night. Now I have to tell you, our guest for today could not be more perfect. Here today is my real-life friend here in Nashville, Anne Garvey. Now, I don't know if you guys have this friend, but Anne is the kind of friend you just know you can go to with all of your embarrassing questions. She never blushes, you can't embarrass her, and she will never ever judge you or make you feel stupid or gross. Not only that, but she's hilarious and so much fun, which makes it so much easier to talk to her about weird or embarrassing things. And you want to know the best part about Anne? She actually has answers. Anne is a women's health professional here in Nashville, and she is brilliant. She knows so much about our bodies as women, and so I just knew that she was the perfect person to have this conversation with. I cannot wait to share this with you. But before we dive in, there's something super fun I wanted to tell you about. So, a few months ago, I was speaking at an event, and I was sharing the story of the Lipstick Gospel. By the way, if you haven't read it yet, The Lipstick Gospel is my very first book. It's my testimony of how I became a Christian, and you can pick up a free copy through the link in my Instagram profile. I'm at Wilson over on Instagram. So anyway, after my talk, I got off the stage, and one of the girls from the audience came up to me with a question. She told me, I want this. I've been a Christian all my life, but my relationship with God just isn't as rich and as colorful as the one you described. I want to know God better, to trust Him, and to see Him do amazing things in my life, but I have no idea how to get there. What do I do next? I've been asked that question so many times, and I'm always at a loss for an answer. I have an answer. I really do. It's just way too much to share in a quick conversation. But that night, as I struggled to give her a helpful answer in like the 30 seconds we had together, I had an idea. I went back to my hotel room, pulled out my laptop, and I began to write. And as I sat there on that hotel bed, I wrote down every bit of wisdom and advice and encouragement I have when it comes to getting closer to God. I wrote down the stories from my life, the actual steps I took, the decisions I made, the prayers I prayed, and everything I've learned along the way. And I just love what that night of writing has turned into. It turned into a devotional and a prayer journal, my very best resources for helping women experience a beautiful, deep, vibrant, transformative relationship with God, and I would love to share those with you. They're called the Lipstick Gospel Prayer Journal and the Lipstick Gospel Devotional, and whether it's your first time getting to know God or whether you're at a point in your faith where you just want to go deeper, they're an invitation to see God in a whole new way, to step into the story He has for you, and they're practical guides for how to do that one day at a time. If you guys have read the Lipstick Gospel, you know that for years I thought Christianity would take me away from the kind of life I wanted to live, but actually, it plopped me directly in the center of it. I've learned that God is a God of great coffee and best friends and laughing so hard you cry or beer pants. He's trips to the mountains and your toes in the sand and love beyond anything you even knew your heart could hold. 
He's healing and redemption and the best friend you could ever have, and that's what we'll find the more we get to know him, and that's what these books are for. They're each 90 days long, and you can go through them either at the same time or do one then the other, whatever works best for you. But in them both, we're going on a journey towards a fuller relationship with God, with our lives, and with ourselves. Truly, if you're looking to grow closer to God in this season of your life, I would love to share these with you. So, here's how you can get them. You can either go to my shop, which is smaywilsonshop.com, or you can find that link through my Instagram profile. And again, I'm at smaywilson over on Instagram. Okay, so with that said, I am so excited for today's episode. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Anne. Okay, friends, I am so excited for what we have going on today. Um, I'm sitting here with my sweet friend, Anne, um, and I'm so pumped that we get to hang out. This is like the best job ever because it's just an excuse to hang out with my friends, which is just the best. So great. It's so good. Um, Okay, so Anne, before we kick off um, the conversation, and we have so much to get to today, your brain is about to be picked. (laughs) Good luck. I'm so pumped. I can't wait. I love it. (laughs) Um, Before we kind of get into all that, uh, just would you mind introducing yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, and we're doing this in season two also. I want to hear a fun fact because they always make me laugh. So, so who you are, what you do, and a fun fact. Okay, I'm Ann Garvey. I am from Nashville, born and raised, so kind of a little bit of a unicorn. A unicorn, yeah. Um, I went to the University of Alabama, roll tide, got my nursing degree, um, was a pediatric emergency room nurse for a couple years, and then went back and got my master's in women's health at Vanderbilt. Um, and now I work for an OBGYN clinic in Hendersonville, and I love it. It's so fun. Um, I guess my fun fact would be... Matt was helping me with this earlier, my husband, but I rode for the varsity equestrian team at Georgia, and then when I transferred to Alabama for nursing school, I started their equestrian team. Oh, that's cool. So. Anne knows all these things about horses, and I don't know anything about horses, uh, so I'm always asking her, like, we're, like, somehow I feel like we always end up at your house during, like, big races, and I'm like, so these horses are strong, good horses that run around tracks, and Anne's like, yeah, okay. Pretty <laughs> much. Really nice to me about it, yeah. Um, and I wanted to say, I feel like we need to say how we know each other, too, because yeah. it's really fun. Um, our husbands went to high school together yep. and played lacrosse together, mm-hmm. um, and then Matt ended up moving down to Nashville, like, kind of a whole thing, and then and so when we moved here, you guys were, like, the first people we met, and you guys Pretty were, much. you guys were engaged by the time we moved We, down? I think so. I think we were. I think, I think, now I can't remember, but I think way, we were. I think we were engaged, and I guess y'all had just moved here maybe six months before. Yeah, And okay. Matt and Carl connected through coaching. Yeah, so Matt is um, the head coach at an all-boys private school here in Nashville, mm-hmm. and Carl gets to coach with him during the spring, and so, so it's so fun. It's also more fun because it's not fun. It wasn't, it wasn't fun at first because <laughs> the boys are gone all spring. All spring. Mm-hmm. It's like all across all the time. It's every day. And they're gone on the weekends and stuff. And it wasn't fun because at first I was like sitting on the bleachers by myself, sort of watching the games, not talking to anybody. But then the second you and I became friends, it became a party. And now I like so look forward to the spring because we're like, okay, boys, like have fun coaching. And you and I just sit on the bleachers and horse around and it's the best. It's so great. It's so nice having a friend my age. <laughs> Instead of just, sitting with the parents is great, don't get me wrong, and I'm not trying to bash that, but it's so fun having someone I can talk to about everything. Everything. So Matt's yeah. always like, did you see this play? I'm like, huh, sure. 
character. <laughs> really, I'm no. sitting there talking to Steph. Yeah, no, it's, so Anne and I don't just have girl talk, like, sometimes. We have girl talk basically, mm-hmm. like, four nights a week all mm-hmm. spring. It's the yes. best. It's so great. It's the best. Um, well, Anne, I'm so excited to have you here. Um, I mean, you are just one of my favorite friends, mm-hmm. and, um, I'm so excited for the girls to get to hear from you because you are an expert in your field, which is women's health. Um, And I'm really excited to talk about this because I feel like as women, we're weird about our bodies. For sure. Like, I feel like there's so much um, shame that we carry about Mm -hmm. how our bodies look and feel and smell and what they do. And like, they are... They do a lot of different things, and so there are, I feel like, ample opportunities for us to feel insecure about them. For sure. Um, and I think it's something we just don't really talk about together. No. Like, as women. It's, we all just sort of feel insecure in our own bodies and feel like we're the only ones who have weird things happen, and then we all just are sort of quiet feeling weird in our shame, right? For some reason, there's this belief, which I think it just stems a lot back to, especially in the South, um... Women aren't supposed to talk about their bodies. They're not supposed to. There's very much still some feelings of, okay, this is your role. Like, you don't talk about anything. All that good stuff, which is so silly to me. Or there's a verbiage of, like, girl power. Like, let's talk about everything. Let's run around naked and all this stuff. And so there's a comfort level of, sure, you want to go run around naked? Fine, whatever. (laughs) And then there's a comfort zone of, I can't talk about anything. Nobody come near me. Nobody touch me. I'm not comfortable undressed, anything like that. There's no middle ground of, hey, it's okay to say my boob hurts today. Like, it's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with the female body. It's just an interesting conversation. And in my field, too, we have to talk about it. I mean, that's why you're there. And it's almost either, like, people are telling me more than I could ever imagine hearing (laughs) or they won't talk at all. And we can't solve the problem Yeah, because they're so embarrassed to say... I have a heavy period or I cramp or I have this discharge that I can't explain. And it's almost like pulling teeth. And so the comfort in the conversation, it has to be daily. Like we talk daily about, oh, I don't know, coffee and what wine you like and If you don't put it in daily conversation, it's just awkward. Yeah. Well, so I actually, I wrote about this. I forgot until this morning that I did this, but I wrote about this in um, my book, The Lipstick Gospel Devotional. Mm -hmm. And I talk about this one day where a bunch of girls and I sat down and I don't know how the conversation got started, but we all ended up like basically admitting these things about ourselves that we find to be like embarrassing or that we've been ashamed of for a really long time. And like, I mean, I came to that conversation with some heavy, heavy, like shame, you know, things Mm -hmm. I was really embarrassed about. And, um, it, I feel like the process of all of us, one, as we went around the circle, we found out that we weren't alone in feeling shame. We also found out that the things that we were feeling insecure about everyone else had also. And it was like, wait a minute, so we all as women have just been sitting, like, quietly, feeling like we're broken and messed up and stinky Mm -hmm. and weird, and all of us are like this? Oh my gosh, I feel like I walked out of that conversation a thousand pounds lighter, and ever since, I mean, I told you this as you, like, as we started this morning, but I'm still, like, super, like, uh, shy about it. Um, so this conversation, I'm, like, putting on my big girl pants, and I'm here for it, but, um, It's gotten so much better, though. And so I feel like my girlfriends and I actually do talk about, like, you know, what tampons are good for you? Or, like, Mm -hmm. is, like, my period's really heavy. I don't know what to do about it. And I feel like the more you and I have gotten to know each other, the more you're becoming my person where I'm like, is this weird? (laughs) Is this normal? Will you look at this? (laughs) It's just going to get worse from here. But it's been so good to talk about it, you know? It just 
makes you feel like you're not alone and not broken and you can just feel more comfortable in your skin, which is so helpful for every part of our lives, right? Right, for sure. And I think shame is such a good way of describing it, which is unfortunate too, but there's so much of like, oh, I shouldn't talk about it. Oh, like I have a hair on my nipple and I'm so ashamed and I bet this model in GQ doesn't have it. And you're like, oh, that's silly. She probably does. They just edited it out. Like, (laughs) it's just silly. And I think for me, at least, I've always been open about my body and telling my mom about everything, which she probably is like, Lord, have mercy. I just can't anymore (laughs) with her. But it's also my job. So it's different when I have this conversation every single day. And instead of, you know, saying okay, well, how do I approach this conversation with my friends? Because I guarantee your friend is probably going through the same thing. Yes. Or the same thing is happening to them, and they just are like, well, I'm broken. Yeah. I'm just not even going to ask anybody about it. Yeah. And I know that, there, like, for me, there are things where I'm like, why didn't I ask a doctor about this sooner? Mm-hmm. Like, I for sure went to the doctor so many times and never asked them this question. And so my hope for this whole conversation is that we can sort of rip the Band-Aid off a little bit. For and, sure. And um, we, I actually did a call for questions from my readers and listeners, so we have a ton of questions from them. Um, and I know we're not going to get to everything and, and that there are just things we're not going to have time for or things we're not going to be able to cover or go in depth on. Um, But my hope is that one, this starts the conversation with you guys and your girlfriends. And two, that it also gives you the courage to be like, okay, hearing from Anne was so helpful. I need to actually go to my doctor and talk about the real things. For sure. And a lot of what I say today too is what I tell my patients as well. But if you're having major issues Our conversation can't replace going to see your provider. Right. That being said, too, the comfort with your provider is so important. If you don't feel like you can say anything to them, it's time to find someone else. Yeah. It should be a relationship where you're like, oh my gosh, thank goodness you got me into, like, today I'm having these issues. Like, help me. Yeah. That's how it should be. If you can't do that, you got to find somebody else. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's jump in because I feel like um, I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about... Um, Just all of these things. So the first question is, um, what things should we be doing consistently for our health as women? Like, when do you start, when should we start going to the gyno? When, how often do we need to go? What about, like, breast exams and mammograms? When does that happen? Like, and is there anything else we should be doing? Like, kind of covering our bases. What are we supposed to be doing for our health as women? Yeah, absolutely. So usually, it really just depends. So a lot of the GYN exams that we see people are looking for birth control for various reasons. So a lot of the teenagers I see are trying to get acne control or period control and just want to like are playing sports or having to change their tampon all the time. And so it's really at that age, it's about matching birth control with what they need. And we don't do pelvic exams unless they're having some crazy symptoms that need to be checked out, things like that. You don't start pap smears until 21. Okay. They found that the cells turn over so rapidly kind of as you're maturing and things like that. It can cause false positives for pap smears and things like that. At that age too, HPV is a sexually transmitted infection that basically 97% of the population has because it is asymptomatic for the most part. And it's just passed around like candy and your body most likely will clear it. And we don't need to necessarily intervene unless it sticks around. So we just monitor it and watch it and have you come back. The guidelines say for ages 21 to 29, we can do pap smears every three years if they're normal. Obviously, if they're not normal, we follow it a little bit closer we as a and it really depends on your provider too because we as a group do it a little bit differently and are a little more um 
we just test a little bit more depending on partners and smoking history and things like that. Um, but from age 30 to 65, it's really every five years. If you haven't changed partners, you haven't picked up smoking, everything's been normal. What does smoking have to do with it? Smoking uh, delays your healing. So. Really? Mm-hmm. Whoa, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So, and it delays kind of infection in your immune system. So if HPV is present, it's going to slow your body from like getting rid of that infection. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I always thought that the like smoking question was just sort of a random, like, are you healthy? Like, this is just one of them. I had no mm-hmm. idea that it had, I mean, obviously smoking has so many effects on our bodies. I just didn't realize that was one of them. And with smoking too, with estrogen, if you are smoking, have estrogen, really over the age of 35 is when we worry about it, but it sets you up for clots. Oh. So that's why we always ask about smoking. Wow. Okay. Okay. So you're saying um, before 21, you're not really going to get pelvic exams. Not unless you're having like crazy pain or if you're bleeding uncontrollably. Okay. We won't do that to you. Okay. Oh my gosh. Thanks. I mean, except <laughs> for now I'm over 21. I know. <laughs> um, and so you said every three years after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after 35, you said after every five years? Yes. So what we do recommend though, is that you come in yearly, have your breast exam done, Talk to your gynecologist about things that are going on, like if you're having pelvic pain, if for some reason you're having pelvic fullness or anything like that, we can examine you. And we do do a pelvic exam yearly to make sure that nothing's going on with the uterus and ovaries, they're not abnormally large or anything like that, and we refill your birth control. So okay, that's kind of how we get you back in, is we don't <laughs> let you go without birth control, but we only give you a limited supply. <laughs> that's Uh, Hilarious and smart. (laughs) Well done, guys. Um, Okay, so then um, breast exams. Yes. How often? So there's all this chatter about self-breast awareness and self-breast exams. And so many people are uncomfortable and have no idea really what they're looking for. And when you're young, your breast tissue is just super dense and then it kind of breaks apart and gets thinner and gravity takes over and pulls them to the ground and (laughs) all this good stuff. So... You know, really, if you are one of those people who's, like, desperate to know how to do a breast exam, have your provider show you and tell you what's normal. So, like, the dense breast tissue that you think probably you're like, oh, I'm dying, I have tumor. Yeah. It's not. It's just dense breast tissue. Have someone show you, like, what is normal for you and, like, your tissue and things like that. Because if you have, like, if your tissue is, like, kind of lumpy, you'll know if you are doing it enough. And then you can, if something is, like change really would be or, or something else you can go oh, okay there's this is different mm-hmm. okay if you're not comfortable doing a self-breast exam don't do it you may just freak yourself out um the data these days is saying you know you it could go either way you don't have to do it you can if you want but it's not going to necessarily pick up on breast cancer or any lumps bumps it's a lot of false positives I could see that. I would totally be a false positive. Mm-hmm. I'm dying. I'm dying. Yeah. So, so I mean, if you're going in to the doctor every year, they'll mm-hmm. do an exam then, and mm-hmm. that's good. Mm-hmm. When do you start doing mammograms? That's later, right? Age 40. So, okay. the American College of OBGYN, um, I believe, I'm trying to think. The American Cancer Society may say 45, but we go off of 40 to start okay. mammograms annually. There's a lot of different... Um, Different societies and different organizations have different numbers, but 40 to 45 is really the range that we see. And if you have a family history of breast cancer, we start you earlier. Okay. So, like, if your mother got breast cancer at 
45, we're going to start you at 35. Got it. Okay. And that kind of stuff. Um, and looking like genetic testing and things like that. So, okay. Okay. Well, so I kind of wanted to get like, get us started with like, well, so actually, is there anything else that we should be doing? Or if we're going to the doctor regularly, like we're kind of covered for our... You're kind of covered. I mean, unless you're having, like if things change or you're having, like your periods go from light to super heavy randomly and things like that, it's surely just kind of monitoring your body. I mean, you don't have to go to the normal doctor all the time, so right. just watching it and being in tune with your body is kind of how it all works. All right. Well, okay. Um, so I have, we got so many questions, um, and I want to get through as many of them as we can, um, but I sort of tried to group them together based on like subcategory, For we'll sure. say. So um, let's start with our periods. Okay. Um, so what is normal or what does normal look like when it comes to like regularity and flow and cramp pain? I got a lot of emails um, from girls, which by the way, after this, don't send me emails because I don't know anything. <laughs> so I'm so glad I got to be like the receptacle for answers, but I'm telling you guys, like, I don't know anything. So I'm not definitely not the one to ask after this. But, um, so I got a lot of emails from girls that were like, my period's like super irregular or really heavy or heavy and then light or, and I, I definitely have several friends who are like sick every time they have their periods. Like yeah. they have such bad cramp pain, they're throwing up. So, Ooh. I mean, what's like, what's normal? So normal can range from a period every 21 to every 35. Some people's cycles, the average is every 28 days. Some people's cycles are every 21 and some people's are as late as 35. We look at that range kind of as normal. And if it's outside of that, that's when we start to say, okay, maybe we need to look at other problems that happen or like thyroid issues or pituitary issues, things like that. Um, Heavy periods, it really just depends on your body. But there is a point where we're saying if you're soaking through a pad or tampon or any type of protection in an hour, you're having to change it every hour on your heaviest days. It's a little bit too much. It's like so hard on your life. It is. It is. And that's a quality. Not only is that a quality of life thing, but you're probably anemic. You're Mm. bleeding too much. It's just too heavy. Um, Irregular periods happen. You're allowed to have one period that is funky a year. So depending on stress and diet and all these crazy things, like especially girls in college and exam time, like now in the holidays, people get stressed and sometimes they skip their period. Sometimes it's a little bit heavier. Sometimes it's spotting and they're like totally freaked out by it. But, you know, if you're having, missing a couple months of a period and you're not on hormonal birth control, it's super crazy heavy. You're cramping to the point of throwing up. That's the time when you need to kind of tell your provider, hey, this is what's going on. And it needs to be evaluated just because there could be different reasons like fibroids and the endometrial lining is super thick, which is the lining in the uterus. And for some reason, it's decided to over proliferate and kind of get super, super thick. And then you're hemorrhaging and which is not ideal. So, (laughs) okay. Yes, your periods are supposed to be regular. How many days it happens kind of depends on your body. If Stress it is, can throw it off. It can. Stress can throw it off. Dieting, weight changes, all that kind of good stuff can really change your period. 
when it, so if if things are really heavy, if it's affecting mm-hmm. your quality of life, just go to your doctor. And yeah. it doesn't mean like it's not a shame thing. Like you're not messed up or anything. No. But it's just let's no. get you to the place where you're not right. It needs to be. You, it needs to be controlled, and yeah. you don't need to be hemorrhaging every four weeks. That's just not healthy. Yeah. And there's uh, there's a cause for it, and it needs to be just figured out and potentially you need to be on hormones or that that discussion needs to happen or there needs to be something else that's done, a surgical procedure or anything like that. Um, but letting your provider know this is happening will help them guide your treatment plan and yeah. guide how we evaluate it. Yeah. Um, okay. That makes sense. Well, so, um, you, so gosh, I have so many questions on this, but, um, you mentioned PMS and yeah. actually, so I'm going to take one for the team and say, PMS has been a major thing in my mm-hmm. life, and it's actually gotten a lot better in the last, I would say, five years, which has been great, but especially, like, throughout college and growing yep. up and after college, I mean, I just, uh, we had a girl ask, um, uh, she, I'm trying to find her question, but she basically said, like, is it normal to, like, be crying a lot and feel like mm-hmm. lashing out at people, and I mean, I would say, uh, yes, at least in my yeah. experience, like, I, you know, I've never had um, super terrible cramps or super heavy periods, but like, I feel like I've had very heavy PMS in my life Mm -hmm. is, can you talk about that? Like what's normal when it comes to PMS? It, like I said, it really just depends on the person. Um, but PMS can go from, Oh, like, I don't feel great. Like I'm snippy and just not fun to be around and just a little bit volatile to crying all the time, feeling terrible about yourself, depressed for a week. Mm -hmm. Um, it can just really kind of take all sorts of uh, forms, if you will. Um, hormonal imbalances can kind of cause that. So if you all of a sudden are like the the amount of estrogen that you put out or the amount of progesterone you put out, like that your body is producing may just cause huge shifts and it may need to be controlled. Yeah. Um, we can use things like birth control pills to kind of elevate and keep that at the same level. Mm -hmm. There are some pills that you don't even have to come off of estrogen. There's a little bit of estrogen in the sugar pills. So it stays pretty regular. Yeah. Kind of that regularity and just that one level Evening of hormone out a little mm-hmm, bit. just yeah. evens it out and is enough to where you're like, okay, I can finally take a breath. Yeah. It's just the fluctuations in the hormones that cause all kinds of things. Yeah. And that's why pregnant people always talk about how like some days they're just like so happy and then other days they're freaking out and crying and yelling at their husbands and it's just the shift in the hormones like every single day mm, okay um but if you're not interested in hormonal control we can do things like ssris which are antidepressants yeah. and there's a lot of chatter about antidepressants right now in mental health um and the stigma around it and it's just silly if yeah. you need something if your quality of life is just awful for a week we can do a week of ssris and kind of stabilize all of those hormones and the receptors and things like that and it can really help exercise yoga doing something for yourself too setting yourself up for okay I have something to look forward to this week like schedule a manicure or pedicure a massage something for yourself to make you feel better because a lot of the feelings are like oh I feel gross like I'm exhausted I'm bloated I'm Mm -hmm. fat and all that kind of negative talk. I feel like you even get down on yourself for it. Like the, oh, that part's sure. only almost even worse. It's like, I'm, I feel gross and I'm like lashing out at people or whatever. Like, and then you shame yourself and you get mm-hmm. mad at yourself for that. And it's like, it's just this total toxic thing. I feel like, um, a couple of things that really helped me. Cause I'm telling you, this was a really big deal in my life yeah. and it was hard on my relationships and it was like, 
I, it really, it was a really hard thing in my life. Um, a couple things that helped were, yeah, like exercise and taking good care of myself. And I feel like I got, I, I hated my period so much and I got so mad at myself for it that mm-hmm. I, I had a shift at one point where I started, um, like treating myself as if I were sick that week mm-hmm. and like giving myself like soft, like wearing soft clothes and mm-hmm. giving myself things like soup and letting myself like rest a little more and just like having a lot of grace for myself. And that helped a lot. Also, I finally, this is the thing where I was dealing with this for a really long time and I never talked to my doctor about it. And finally, when I did, we tried a couple of birth control, um, options and actually they didn't necessarily help. Mm-hmm. Um, and one like made it way worse, which yeah. was kind of tough but finally um they did antidepressants and Mm -hmm. it I'm telling you changed my life Mm -hmm. it didn't make me weird or off like I didn't feel weird I just felt normal all the time and it was amazing and so I'm so glad you said that because it was it was a huge game changer in my life and the types of antidepressants that we use people always think about like Xanax and the heavy hitters and things like that and they're like well I don't want to be knocked out I don't want to be different I don't want my personality to change and Mm -hmm. really the ones that we use are ones that are studied a ton so like the Zolofts and the Paxils and the Effexors and things like that and that we know help yeah. And you start at the bottom and you work your way up to the dose that works for you. I mean, 10 milligrams may work for somebody, but somebody else may need 20. And so you're not going to just knock someone out, like... No. Like, right never. off the bat. Yeah. Because that just decreases your quality of life anyway. Yeah. So not going to give you something that is going to make you just miserable. Yeah. Give you something that works. And with birth control pills, too... It's hard because there's so many on the market. There's so many out there. There's so many different formularies. And finding one that works takes a while. And that's even more frustrating for people who just want to feel better. And sometimes it works right off the bat and sometimes it doesn't. And it kind of depends on if what you're willing to do and kind of where you are in your quality of life too. Yeah. So it's just, it's a kind of a I don't know, trial and error kind of thing, and you just have to kind of stick it out. But mm-hmm. you have a doctor on your team to to help you get to a place where your period, whether it's like the physical effects of it or the emotional effects of it, aren't like messing up your life. Right. And if your provider's not willing to help you out or kind of walk you through those steps, then find someone else who will. Yeah. Because they should be on your side and it should be a joint conversation. Yeah. Well, so, okay, another question that we got was um, kind of the tampons versus pads debate. Yeah. Um, and we heard from a couple of girls, um, actually, who they were never taught how to use tampons, and they're kind of intimidating, and um, I feel like I'm, like, totally, I'm taking one for the team here, too, friends. Um, but tampons hurt me so bad yeah. for years. It took me a really long time to, like, get to a place where I could where I could use them, um, and then they're life-changing and the best thing ever. Um, but... How do we, if we've never been taught how to use a tampon, one, how do we learn? And then two, um, if for some reason they're really hurting and it's not, it's not going well, like what are some other options? So tampons are, and really kind of anything that goes into the vagina is just one of those things that really freaks people out. And understandably so. It's something that, I mean, for a lot of people, people are like, you don't talk about it. You don't touch it. You don't do anything with it. Something will happen to you at some point in your life, and it's really going to freak you out. We may talk about it then, or we may not. You're going to just have to kind of figure it out. I mean, even my mom, she was given a book and was like, read this. You'll be fine. And like, that was the end of the conversation. And love my grandmother. She's so sweet, but that's just what the rhetoric was. Yeah. 
you know, I'm a, there's a book, which I don't get any kickbacks for any of this, but American Girl Doll has this book that's called The Care and Keeping of You. And it's basically this teenage book about how your breasts develop and how to insert a tampon. And it has really great illustrations of how to appropriately insert a tampon. Oh my, well done, American Girl Doll. I know. That's amazing. I know. So it's one of those books that, you know, you may feel silly as an adult purchasing, but has a great illustration of how to do it and things like that. Now with tampons, always start with the smallest tampon. Never dive right into the supers. Those just, you don't need those unless you're having really heavy periods. Always use the lightest that you can for the flow that you have. And then kind of work yourself your way up. The it, the packet itself has insertion tips. Make sure you're spreading your labia appropriately so that you're not getting caught up on everything. A lot of times people don't insert them all the way into the um, into the vagina, and that can be really painful if it's just kind of like half sticking out. Yeah. Yeah. So really making sure it's dry cotton. Like it's yeah, it's just not comfortable. No, and like soft. really, whoever yeah. invented that, like. But (laughs) never use scented tampons either. I know a lot of people are so worried about having a crazy odor or like... We're going to talk about that in a minute. Or having something, but it can cause so much irritation. It can really break down your skin. Those perfumes are not meant to be down there. Okay. Okay, so we've gotten a lot of questions from women, especially we got a lot of questions from newlyweds. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that um, we had another... Uh, podcast episode last season Mm -hmm. um, where we're talking about sex Um, but I know that sex is uncomfortable for a lot of people especially right at first and that feels um, I think that I am hoping that the word is spreading that that's normal yes um, but I don't know if it's quite spread far enough Mm -hmm. Um, but um, what can what can you do if you are a newlywed or just started having sex or just started having sex again or whatever whatever um kind of wherever you are in things, if it's hurting, is it, like, what can you do to make it hurt less? And also, at what point do you say, okay, you know, it's been six months, it's still hurting, at what point do you go to the doctor? Okay, so if you, here's my advice, if you have a friend that has never had sex before, and they're getting married, and no one has told them that sex hurts, if you just dive right in, Do your friends a favor and sit them down and have the conversation and say, okay, you need to be warned Mm -hmm. that this may be uncomfortable the first time. It gets me all the time. I have newlyweds coming in who are just so excited about sex and want to talk about it and all this great stuff. And it is a great thing. But, you know, for guys, they can just, it's ridiculous. They can just, I mean, drop trowel and ready to go. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas, like, for girls, it's more of an emotional thing. Yeah. One of my providers says it takes 15 minutes for women to, like, really be ready to go. Like, it's whining and dining, it's comfort, it's foreplay. Like, women really have to have an emotional kind of drive, drive, I guess you could say, but, like, emotional readiness to really enter that encounter. Now, when you have sex for the first time... It's uncomfortable. It's not, you're not used to it. It's foreign. There's anxiety. Your muscles kind of clench up just because you're anxious about it. And you're like, this may hurt. This may be great. I don't really know what I'm getting myself into. Yes. It's like a lot of different emotions. Communication with your partner is so important. Being able to drive that ship a little bit, saying to your partner, hey, okay, 
this hurts when we do this position, but it's more comfortable if we do this. Can we try this? And being open to different positions and not only, I mean, a lot of people think, oh, just missionary is fine. Well, yeah, that's fine if it's comfortable for you, but if it's not, switch it up. There's yeah. all different types of positions that you can try. Always use lube. Okay. Always. Always, Do you always, have a always. lube recommendation? Anything that has silicone in it. So, like, again, I don't get any kickbacks from this, but Uber Lube is a lube that just came on the market. It's silicone-based. It's great. Okay. We You can put it in your hair, like, to tame the ends. Guys can use it Hilarious. for chafing. Okay. It comes in these really cute little tubes that look like lipstick tubes, so it's really inconspicuous. Something that's not going to dry you out. So anything that's alcohol-based, some of them are, they will dry out and then immediately suck all the moisture from you as well. Oh, so then nice. you're, like, unbelievably dry. Really uncomfortable. Any, like, something like slippery stuff, water-based lube... If you're not using condoms, you can use olive oil. But okay. if you are using condoms for birth control, olive oil will break the condom down. Awesome. Surprise. And then, ta-da! <laughs> ta-da, here we are. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, okay, so, and if, but if it's not getting better after a while, yeah. then that's when you need to go see your doctor. For sure. And, you know, a lot of times, too, people have a bad experience or just it's uncomfortable, it hurts, they kind of just jumped right in and didn't really take the time to, like, have good foreplay and all that good stuff. And now they're scared. So there's a lot of anxiety that happens. There's a lot of muscle memory. So you know as soon as foreplay happens, like, you're like, oh, okay, like, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. You pump yourself up. But really what it is is your muscles are shutting down. You're tightening up. You don't even realize it. Yeah. Sometimes what it takes is reteaching your muscle memory to be like, okay, this isn't going to be painful. Or, okay, this is what I need to do. Counseling is great as well. Sometimes you need to go to counseling and talk about it with your partner and be like, this really hurts and it's causing a rift between our relationship because it's not something that you're doing, it's my body, but I feel guilty and then you feel guilty and it's this whole dynamic that's changed over painful sex. Yeah. Sometimes it's structural. Sometimes there's fibroids. Sometimes there's different things that cysts and things that do cause pain. So yes, going to your provider and saying, okay, listen, is is there anything in me that's like making this painful or mm -hmm. is it like, yeah, is it more mental? Is it more situational or is like, there's something blocking something? Right. Yeah. Right. So, and it really could be like all kinds of things. So talking to your provider, good communication with your partner saying, Hey, like, let's take it real slow, all that good stuff. If you can't have good communication with your partner, it's never going to be comfortable. Yeah. Because you're never going to be in control. Yeah. And you have to be the one driving that ship. It can't be anybody else. Yeah. Because, because he has no idea, like, Mm -hmm. you are, yeah, he has no idea what it feels like on your end unless you tell him. Right. So, yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so we have gotten a lot of questions, um, about... Fertility. Yeah. Um, and let's see. Okay, so the first question is, um, <laughs> and I'm not actually sure I know the answer to this question. I think I do, but I'm not 100%. Um, what, are you fertile your entire, like all month? Can you get pregnant all month? Or no. there are only a couple days when you cannot, or when you can't get pregnant? There's really only about a day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
So, nobody tells 16 year olds that. We need them to think they can get pregnant just by kissing boys. Right. So, so nobody and that's why we tell them, like, if you don't take a pill, you're going to get pregnant. Well, it kind of doesn't work like that, but that's kind of how we talk to people who don't really want to get pregnant. Right. So, there's one day of ovulation. Okay. And a 28-day cycle, it's usually around day 14. Now, depending on your cycle, depending on the day and the length and things like that, it can be a couple days. So, usually, for a 28-day cycle, you're looking at days 12, 13, and 14 for possible ovulation. The ovum itself, so what the ovary sends out, so basically what happens is the ovary recruits all these follicles, which are little eggs that you're born with, and it recruits, like, let's say 100 one month, and then it picks the right one, so only then one is recruited to be the ovum, and it is brought into the ovary and sit down the fallopian tube and ready for a sperm to meet it. That ovum only lasts 24 hours, and then it dies. And it is expelled. Now, sperm lasts five days. Okay. Those little swimmers can live for five days. So what does that mean if you are trying to do, like, natural family planning and you have sex five days before you ovulate? Does that mean that you can sort of get pregnant from, like, an old sperm? Potentially, yes. Crazy. So the thing that we advise people to do... now. It takes the average couple six months to get pregnant. I was going to ask that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we are not concerned about it until it's been a year of actively trying. Okay. And what, by, what I mean by that is using a period tracker, there's so many apps now. Clue is one that has been studied by the American College of OBGYN. Obviously, they aren't 100% accurate, but they give you an idea. Using ovulation kits, which are basically like pregnancy tests, but they... Um, look for the hormone progesterone, which is what you secrete right after you ovulate or like when you're ovulating. Um, and really, um, having scheduled sex. So (laughs) sexy, (laughs) right? So a lot of people think that they should be having sex like three or four times a day. That's the, one of my patients had that the other day. I was like, no, no, no. But Having sex the two to three days before you think you're ovulating. Okay. And then two to three days after. You can even start like three to four days before. Okay. And having sex only every 24 to 48 hours. Why? You're shooting, they're shooting blanks. Interesting. They don't have time to recharge. Interesting. Guys don't. Okay. So if you're having sex multiple times a day, you're not getting what you need. You're not getting the sperm that you need, which is what you need to get pregnant. Right. A lot of fertility clinics say 72 hours to really have that good sperm count and that good mature sperm. (laughs) I know. I know. It's silly. Every time (laughs) we talk about it with patients, they kind of like, okay, but it's, and it's just scheduling it out and following your body and keeping track of it and things like that. Um, there's multiple different reasons why people can't get pregnant and the hard thing is nailing it down. So at a year we start the workup, there's a lot of blood draws, there's ultrasounds, there's things like that. 40% of the time it's not the woman. There's so much chatter of it's your fault, it's not me, it's not, it's because women have so many different parts and all this good stuff. But we also have to do a sperm count and sperm motility and a semen analysis and all that stuff and really make sure the husband or the partner may have great sperm, but it can't swim. Wow. Doesn't have a tail. Can't 
Taylor get to oh the gosh. egg. Yeah. So, so but, it's not, so like, so not until a year mm-hmm. are you guys c- not concerned, but just kind of going to look into it. And At a year, we, we won't even really do a workup because a okay. lot of times people are missing ovulation. They're not doing ovulation kits, not having sex at the appropriate time. All that good stuff. So yeah. if you've tried for a couple months, you're like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Obviously, happy to have the conversation with you of, okay, here's what you need to do. Yeah. And then come back to me in a couple months and we'll really dive in if nothing has happened. Yeah. Making sure you're exercising, low-carb diets. Ovaries love it when you have a low-carb diet and they just go crazy. So really kind of figuring out what works for you. A lot of times people get really bogged down that they haven't gotten pregnant and the stress keeps them from getting pregnant. Which is why you see a lot of people who are, like, adopting and then they get pregnant or things like yes. that. Because when you're not as stressed out about it, not as worried about it, it's easier to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't let it turn into a job. Okay. Because then it ruins your relationship. Yeah. And sex should never be something that you're like, okay, we have to have sex right now. Yeah. And, like, this is my ovulation window and da 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 Yeah. Figure out what works for you. Have that conversation. Don't let it turn into something that's going to cause a rift in your relationship. Okay. Okay. So what I got. Well, okay, so then, um, oh, I'm nervous to ask about this, because I know that this is, I feel like all the girls are sitting here going, like, oh, and be gentle with us, <laughs> and I kind of <laughs> feel the same way, um, but I know that a lot of, um, I think, it, I don't know what age you hit, um, yeah. I think it's, you hit the age where, like, your mom had kids, or where someone, some mean lady says something like, well, you, when are you having kids? You're really oh getting older. God. Um, there are all these, um you know, thoughts and statistics and things floating around about, like, at what age we should start being worried about our eggs dying, basically. Um, gently tell us, like, at what point are, like, it does, does, um, pregnancy get riskier or, like, when should we ideally be starting to have kids? So there's definitely no ideal time because it's so different for everyone. And now the norm is to have kids later. You're seeing, we're seeing a trend for people pushing back just because there is a movement for women who have, who are wanting to work more. And, you know, it really, there's just so many different areas of life that for women, it's either they're stay at home moms and they have kids earlier or they're working and they have kids later. There's also people who have a lot of opinions about it who aren't medically trained. And that's where we get sticky, and that's where people start to feel guilty, and it's just silly. So, for pregnancy, we consider you advanced maternal age, which is so silly, at 35. Okay. You're not old. You're 35. Yeah. What we've noticed an increase in, and what the research, it's still being researched, is an increase in possible genetic mutations. Okay. So, when... You're born, you're born with your eggs. They don't just, like, replenish. You're born with your store, and that's it. So as you kind of get older, they're the same age that you are. So the genetic material, if you're going to want to have a baby at 40, is 40. Has a higher risk of mutating than someone at a younger age. A lot of the genetic mutations happen spontaneously. So regardless of age, it can still happen. There's a lot of chatter about, oh, well, if you hit 35, your kid's definitely going to have a genetic mutation. No, that's not necessarily the truth. If you have a family history of genetic genetic mutations, if your husband does, like following that is more important really than hearing, okay, I'm 35, I have to have a baby right now. 
Because, so it's, you're saying, like, maybe there's an increase, but it's not like, if you have a baby on your 36th birthday or whatever, right. like, it's for sure going to happen. Right. Because it could happen before, and it could happen mm-hmm. after, and it could not happen before, and it could not mm-hmm. happen after. I mean, we've had young couples that have had genetic mutations that, in their early 20s, yeah. who, it just happens that way. Yeah. Um, the genetic material is older at 35 and at uh, beyond, and so the thought is is that the older material has a higher chance of mutating. Okay. Will that happen for sure? No. Yeah. Do we do further testing? Yes. So okay. we do intense testing. We um, promote genetic screening for the baby, and it's a lot easier these days. So before... We used to have to take a sample of the amniotic fluid and send it off. Now what we do, which was pretty invasive and had a low risk, but a risk of miscarriage. Now what we do is we, there's a blood test that we can do. We take the blood from mom. We spin out baby's blood because baby's blood and DNA is floating out in mom's too. And then we test the genetics. Okay. And then we know. And then we just watch it. And if we need to get high-risk maternal fetal medicine doctors involved, we do. If we need to do more intense ultrasounds, we can. We just watch it. Keeping yourself healthy is really what's important. So exercising and eating right, and I'm, like, needing to do this myself too, but making sure, like, if you have diabetes or hypertension or anything like that, keeping that under control. Yeah. If you meet the love of your life at 36 and you're like, we want to have a baby at 37 and I have hypertension and diabetes, but I've kept it under control, you have a better chance of having a better pregnancy. Yeah. It's really just staying healthy, and which everyone should do anyway, regardless of wanting to have a baby. Right. But taking your prenatal vitamin, everyone of reproductive age should be taking one. It's good for yeah. your skin, good for <laughs> your hair, good for your nails. The folic acid in the prenatal vitamin is important the first couple months before you even know you're pregnant and helping the spine form. So the stores that you have of folic acid is really what's important in helping the spine form, not the folic acid you get. Um, when you figure out, you're like, oh, I'm pregnant. Got to okay. start taking my prenatal. Okay. Everyone should be on a prenatal. Okay, I'm going to get a name of one from you, and I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, okay, so it sounds like what you're saying is we're not all in trouble. We're not no. – all is not lost, which is great because I think that um, – One, like, when you get married, you're not immediately ready to have a baby. Like, Carla and I have been married for three and a half years, and, you know, people are starting to ask a little bit more frequently, but, like, we're not ready. It's not happening today. Um, And then also, I know that, you know, we have so many amazing single women in my community. And, like, you cannot control when you date and meet and marry someone like you just cannot control that so you can't say having someone tell you you know if you're 29 having someone tell you if you don't have a baby by the time you're 30 you're screwed that's not helpful at all for you no Um, and don't read the blogs that have that red or not dissing bloggers or anything like that but there's information out on the internet that's not accurate yeah and that isn't medically based and a lot of people get tied up in that and reading that and people's experiences and all that good stuff and it's just that's not how it works. Like, talk to your physician. If for some reason there's a reason that you shouldn't be having babies at that age, they're going to tell you. Yeah. And they're going to give you evidence. And if you don't like it, go see someone else. Get a second opinion. Yeah. It's your body. Take control of your health. Like, there's some people that just really are nervous about after 35. And there's a lot of physicians who are coming up through that are like, okay, whatever, but we're going to do more genetic screening and we're going to do more counseling and we're going to do ultrasounds if we need it. Yeah. We'll watch it. We can't tell you not to have a baby. Just do it in a safe manner. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that too, I think we really want to control what we can control, you know? And I think, um, you know, whenever people ask me about, you know, when Carl and I are going to have kids, like I always say, I mean, you know, if we can, and then people like look at me with concern, like, you know, I found out something about my body. I don't know anything that would make it so that we couldn't have kids. But at the same time, everyone has a different story and everyone has different roadblocks. And so you could be 22 trying to get pregnant and your body or your husband's body doesn't support pregnancy for some reason. And like, it's just, we can't, this is one of those things in life we can't control no matter how old we are. And so, but there are so many options medically, it sounds like Mm -hmm. to make it healthy and um, safe in, in different, like different, at different ages. And that there are so many things that can happen regardless. And so we have to hold it with an open hand. And I mean, there's so many ways to have kids. There are so many more options today than there Mm -hmm. ever have been before. For sure. Um, Ways that you can have a family. For sure. And don't let the conversation of, oh, like I can't get pregnant. I'm alone. Da, 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 da. I guarantee one of your buddies is in the same boat but no one wants to talk about it. So this is another thing where talk to your girlfriends about it, mm-hmm. right? And rely on each other too because you never should feel like you're going through something like infertility, miscarriage, anything like that by yourself. You're not. Yeah. Open up if you can, but don't feel like you have to, but you're not walking through this alone. Yeah, and you don't have to. And yeah, you're for sure not the only one. No. Oh. No. That's so good. Um, okay, so let's see. Um, so the last questions, and these were the ones we got more than any other ones, so I'm very excited about them. Um, so <laughs> um, when it comes to having sex, yeah. it is nerve-wracking yes. because you are opening up a part of your body that feels kind of weird, that does mm-hmm. weird things and looks weird and smells weird and all this stuff to another human that you want to impress, <laughs> yes. which is... Like, daunting. So, one of the questions we got more than anything else is about, like, smells and discharge. And so, how do you, like, what's normal? What is your body supposed to do? What the heck is going on? And then also, what are safe, good ways of keeping yourself, like, clean and fresh and comfortable and confident and ready to go? (laughs) So, discharge is normal. It's, think of your vagina as a self-cleaning oven. (laughs) Which is what my physician always says, and I always laugh, but it's, like, so accurate. It cleans itself. I cannot, that's gonna, we're gonna have to Instagram that, like, quote from Anne Garvey, think of your vagina as a self-cleaning oven. It's a self-cleaning oven. Yeah. So, people always want to stick weird things up in there and use cleaners they shouldn't be using. I've had a patient that has used bleach in her vagina, and Mm. I will never understand it. It sounds so painful. Oh, I can't even... But, you know, the body cleans itself. And when we start to mess with it, that's when we get funky discharge, we get an odor, things like that. Using soaps like Dove or Summer's Eve and kind of something that's super gentle is really what's going to help keep the natural bacteria going and not killing it off. It's when we use, like, when people douche and use all these other fragrance and alcohol-based things that we knock out those bacteria and then infections kind of start to come on. Some people have a little odor that really only they recognize. Some people have a crazy amount of discharge and they hate it. And some people have no discharge and they are as dry as a desert and they hate <laughs> that too. So it kind of just depends. You know, recognizing that you have discharge is part of being a lady. It's, we it's, all do. We all have it. Okay. Men have really weird things, too, which we won't dive into, but they obviously have no problem telling anybody about it. 
<laughs> but so we're not the only weird ones. If we're talking about plumbing, no. their plumbing's weird too. Yes, it's very odd. But so recognizing changes in discharge is kind of what we always talk about. So some people are super in tune to their body to enough when they're like, oh, my discharge has gone from like thick and sticky to thin and slippery. I'm ovulating. Oh, okay. I am not that in tune with my body. I probably should be, but I don't have time to check that. If you do, more power to you. And if you recognize that, go for it. Some people use that as their birth control. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. If it works for you, it works for you. I don't remember anything. I have a hard time remembering to take my garbage out, let alone when I'm ovulating. Yep. So, but with discharge too, with different infections, so like one of the questions that we got too was about yeast infections and like the difference in UTIs and bacterial vaginosis and all that good stuff. So yeast infections are located in the vagina. Yeast candida albicans or candida God only knows There's all these different species that can happen, and they just invade, and they knock out the normal bacteria that keeps everything healthy. And it's really itchy, right? It's really itchy. Oh. And you have discharge that's clumpy, and you just feel uncomfortable, and sometimes your vulva is super itchy, and it burns, and then the skin gets raw, and it's just really not ideal. So it happens a lot after antibiotics. Okay. So, like, if you're taking a heavy-hitting antibiotic for, like, gosh, like a surgery or something like that, um, it'll happen. Well, some people are a little bit more susceptible to it. And you can use Monistat, and there's, like, creams and Vagisil wipes and stuff that can kind of help with the symptoms. But sometimes you need an antibiotic to help kind of really just knock it out. Okay. Um, Talking to your provider, it's so easy. We just take a sample of the discharge and look under the microscope, see what it is. If you're having, like, stinky, yellow, thin discharge, it's probably bacterial vaginosis. If sex makes it worse, probably have a little more of a bacterial infection than yeast. Okay. That happens, too. I mean, sometimes the normal, like I said, the normal bacteria gets knocked out. Some other bacteria from someone's skin, from your skin, from who only knows where, kind of works its way up and into the vagina. It's not a sexually transmitted infection. Okay. You didn't get it from somebody else. No one's been messing around with anybody. It just happens to be that a bacteria from your skin or from somewhere else happened to get introduced into the vagina and it's decided to cause some issues. Okay. Okay. So discharge normal. Discharge is normal. Okay. In pregnancy, you make a lot of it. Oh, nice. And it really freaks people out, but it just happens. Just happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I read somewhere that um, when it comes to yeast infections, that the most important thing is to just stay dry Mm-hmm. Is that true? Like the- Let it air out, too. So a lot of people are like, oh, this is so gross. Use cotton underwear. Let yourself go underwear free. Like, if you can run around the house with no panties on, go for it. It yeah. just helps to kind of let the air get to the yeast, and that will knock it out. Okay. If it gets to the point where you need a little something-something, like a Diflucan or a Monistat, use it. You can do a Monistat three-day course. You can do those little ovules. Yeah. Be warned that sometimes those ovules, when they break apart and kind of let the medicine coat the vagina, it can come back out, and then your discharge is a little funky. Okay. But there's different ways to treat it. And so just having... If you're itchy, talk to your doctor. If it's uncontrollable, for sure. Because okay. it can be a few things as well. Okay. But most likely it's a yeast infection, especially if you've had antibiotics okay. or anything like that. Now, if you are one of those who hates discharge, hates odor, 
and is douching. Stop. That is so bad for the inside of your vagina. You have no bacteria that's going to protect you from any type of infection. And it just dries everything out. Okay. So just, you need to just kind of get over the discharge thing. It, everybody has it. Everybody and has it. When it comes to odor, it's just showering on a regular basis and using really mild cleaners or things like that. But mm-hmm. overdoing it, it sounds like it makes the problem way worse. It does. Okay. It makes it way worse. Okay. Well, so um, another question we've gotten when it comes to like hygiene and maintenance and stuff um, is about hair. Yes. So one question, and you mentioned it at the beginning, what about nipple hair? Is that normal? It happens. It's normal. It's there. Some people get a lot. Some people get one straggler that just kind of is really annoying. Shaving it is fine. I wouldn't recommend waxing it because I feel like that would hurt really bad. Yep. If, but if you have a large amount of hair that grows on your nipples, on your chest, on your back, on your face, anything like that, that's beyond the normal like chin straggler. A lot of people get those. Okay. Probably need to be evaluated for something that's called PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Okay. May have a little bit of testosterone in there that's lingering and may be taking control and you may have abnormal hair growth and things like that. So if that's going on, have that evaluated. Okay. If you have like the thin hair that just happens to show up on your nipple, it happens to everybody. Okay. Okay. All right. So how does It does. And it's annoying because sometimes you forget about it and then you're want to have like a romantic evening with your husband and then you look down and you're like I forgot to shave my boobs and you you go wait a minute hang on one second I'll be right back and it happens to everyone and nobody talks about it and so then like we've been saying nobody talks about it then you think you're weird then you think your significant other is gonna be like ew you nasty because you've got (laughs) boob hairs like that's not true you probably wouldn't even notice they don't notice anything but like it happens. Oh, okay. Well, so then when it comes to our last hair question, and this is such a good question, and I think that this is something, oh my gosh, my girlfriends and I talked about this so much before we got married. Yeah. Um, is what, like, what should we be doing when it comes to shaving, waxing, maintenance? Um, one girl, this is such a good question, and she was like, is this something that, like, I'm going to have to do my whole life? Like, or is this kind of a, an age thing where it's like, you know, maybe when you're younger, I mean, just when you're getting married and you're preparing to have someone in your business, mm-hmm. like, on a regular basis, you're kind of looking ahead to that. So, thoughts on, on grooming? You know, so, hair is put places for specific reasons, you know? Mm-hmm. I always think of God as a true jokester, but he put that there for a reason, and it's to protect your vulva and to protect that skin and kind of the entrance to the vagina, and it kind of sometimes can keep discharge at bay a little bit. I mean, talking from personal experience, I mean, I'm sure everyone wants to know about me, but (laughs) when I wax and remove everything, my discharge is ten times worse because there's nothing there to keep it in its place, if you will. (laughs) There are studies that show that, and we can't quite tell if it's correlating because we're asking people who do have sexually transmitted infections in that wax, or if it's due to their hair removal that they're more susceptible to sexually transmitted infections. Interesting. It's the protective layer is gone. So when you think about it, like when you shave your legs and you nick your legs and then you're like, oh my God, my legs are so dry, you're taking off that top layer of skin as well. Right. So, I obviously can't tell people, don't do anything, because no one, especially with all the conversation about, like, you know, pubic hair and armpit hair, and, like, 
you're not cool if you have this, which is just silly. But using a new razor every time you shave. Okay. Never shave dry. Always use, like, a cream or something like that. And let it sit for a while. Okay. I sometimes use, like, if I don't have a cream or something that can, like, really kind of get the skin soft, conditioner. Like, hair conditioner. Yeah, conditioner's good. Which really works. Um, and using a new razor. Don't use a dull razor and just, like, go to town. Okay. Because you're going to cause nicks. It's going to cause abrasions. Your skin's going to break down. And then it's just going to be even more painful. Yeah. Um, there are products in the market to help with razor burn. But making sure you keep that area, like, so the skin doesn't get dry and all that good stuff. Waxing. If you just can't stand the thought of shaving, make sure when you do get waxed, you're getting waxed by a professional. Mm-hmm. Someone who's been trained in cosmetology. Go to a spa. It's going to be more expensive, but go to a place that is under a medical director and who monitors all their techniques and make sure they go to training and make sure that their cosmetology license is up to date and all that good stuff. Just because you wouldn't want me as a provider to not be licensed right. in practicing on your lady parts. Why would you want someone ripping your hair and skin off oh my and them not be practicing? Yeah. Because it can burn. They can get the wax too hot and you can get pretty severe burns. Yep. And that's just really not ideal. So there is laser hair removal, which is super expensive. There's a lot of Groupons for it, but still expensive. It's a little bit uncomfortable, and it takes a few treatments, which is kind of annoying. It's also not great. Sorry, ladies. If you're blonde, they Mm -mm. can't can't help you. No. It's kind of a bummer. And it can change the pigmentation of your skin. That's true. Some people say using something like a Nair or like a hair removal that's like a cream is better for that area. Now, if you are going to do something like that, make sure you test it on some skin like that's on your thigh or something like that, that if it were to burn, it's not going to cause like major discomfort before you use it on your lady parts. Okay. Because that skin is so much more sensitive. Right. Should it burn or should it have a reaction to it, it's going to be a lot more painful. So I think it's like, it's pretty much like your preference, right? It is. And it's also something you can talk about with your partner, with your husband, like as mm-hmm. your, or your fiance as you're about to get married and, um, and you can, I mean, you can do everything from just leave it to, yeah. you know, like shaving or waxing like your bikini line and trimming, mm-hmm. or you can do, you know, there's like, what is the bikini is like sort of the top and the sides for a wax. Yep. Brazilian is the whole darn thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really, you can, you can kind of do anything. You really can. And, you know, the suggestion is to leave a little bit of hair. Okay. Kind of close to the vulva, close to the entrance of the vagina, all that stuff, so that it really does kind of protect and keep things, let it do its job. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be all the way out on your thighs. <laughs> you can get that taken care of. Yeah. It's, that's not really necessarily doing anything. But okay. as close to the entrance as you can, leave something. Okay. But if you just are like, nope. I mean, I can't, we can't tell you otherwise. We can just tell you, you may have some more discharge. You may be more prone to infections. Totally up to you. But, like, I think that, I think having the conversation with your partner is really good. Because, like, your husband, like, there are things that are popular at different times or, like, sort of more socially normal or whatever. But, like, you're not, the hope is, you're not just sleeping with everybody. You're not trying to please every man no. it's just it's, it's just your your right. man <laughs> so and oddly enough it. some men have an opinion about it yeah and it's not an opinion where they're hopefully if they're forceful then we need to have another conversation but they're like well i don't want you to have all of it gone or i don't want i want to have what they call landing strips or 
a triangle or an upside down triangle. There's so many different like quote unquote designs, if you will. <laughs> You're gonna say hairstyles. <laughs> I mean, it, it is. It's like a hairstyle. It it's is. Like, yeah. It's and you know, it's totally up to you, and you can change it because it's gonna grow back. That's unfortunately it definitely does. Um. I, yeah, I like that. It's it's a conversation. And the other thing is, speaking of men being weird too, men have hair also. So, yes. like, just so that we know, we're not the only, like, men are way hairier than women. So it's very true. It, we're not the only ones. No. And when you do important. shave or wax, watch out for ingrown hairs because those can get infected Ugh. and then it just gets to be this whole other mess. So be careful with ingrown hairs. Watch them. Just make sure they're not turning into any abscesses or anything like that. Okay. Okay. Um, so, Anne, I know that we haven't gotten to answer everybody's question because there are like a million and we could talk forever. Um, but as we're kind of, you know, with all of the lingering questions that girls have, mm-hmm. what should they do with them? Like, what's a good resource? You know, like, talk to your doctor. I mean, what, what are your recommendations? What's your encouragement for girls as they're sitting here with their unanswered questions? That for we can get sure. To? So I think... Google can sometimes be a really great tool, and then sometimes it can lead you down a rabbit hole, and then you are all of a sudden diagnosed yourself with God only knows what. So using websites like the Mayo Clinic, American College of OBGYN, Planned Parenthood, March March of Dimes, places like that to really get good information about things. And, you know, I know we'd had a question about birth control and we didn't really get to touch on that. Yes, no, we didn't. Um, But there's a lot of good information out there about them. There's also a lot of really intense stories about different things like IUDs that may not necessarily be true. Talking to someone who knows about those and who knows the risks and benefits, like your provider, or, Mm -hmm. you know, talking to a friend who may love their IUD or someone who hated the Nexplanon or her birth Mm -hmm. control pills made them absolutely insane, Mm -hmm. trying to find the right balance for yourself, but getting research from places that are medically based. Okay. Planned Parenthood has a quiz that you can take to see which birth control fits you. Yeah. It's super long and intense. Wow, that's cool. But it's definitely an option. Yeah. Um, That's cool that it's long. I thought it was going to be like, are you irresponsible? Don't use birth control. Are you? Like, do you have a latex allergy? Don't use condoms. Like, it's cool that it's it's more extensive than that. It's pretty extensive. And then asking friends and then getting information and then talking to your provider and being like, okay, I don't want a period. I'm not comfortable with an IUD quite yet. Or I want more information about it. Like, I've heard scary, scary things. Or Mm -hmm. I can't have estrogen because I smoke. I can't have estrogen because I have a history of migraines. Like, help a sister out. Yeah. Having that conversation with someone who has the ability to provide information or calling Merck who makes, or Bayer, excuse me, who makes all these things and Merck who makes uh, the next one on and all these different companies will happily provide you with information. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny when we, right before Carla and I got married, a bunch of my girlfriends that I worked with were all getting married right around the same time. And we all had the same gynecologist and we all were having the same conversations about birth control. Mm -hmm. And we all like basically went, like we did everything but walk in there holding hands to do it together. But I mean, we really like, like, oh, now it's her turn. Now it's her turn. Now she's going. This is what she decided. And it was just really nice to not have to do it by yourself. For sure. And I'm sure... You know, everyone says it. We're all in the same boat. We're all doing the same things. Just no one talks about it. Yeah. Open that conversation up. I think sometimes with my friends, too, a lot of us are medical professionals, so we all feel comfortable talking about it. But, I mean, I had a friend the other day. We were sitting in just a regular conversation. She's like, hey, what birth control do you use? 
That's perfect. And people are, like, some people are like, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not telling you that. And some people are like, oh, yeah, like, I use the IUD, and it's great. Or I use this pill, and I swear by it. Mm-hmm. Or NuvaRing. Yeah. Some people are like, I just love it. You know, it really just depends on kind of what works for your body. It takes time. Give it time to really work and give it time to let your body adjust. Okay. Man, um, I love this. Okay, so we have three last questions um, that I'm excited to ask you. Um, and then, yeah, oh gosh, thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah, about this. absolutely. Um, okay, so um, my first question, and I've been asking everybody this um, since the podcast started, but what is God teaching you lately? You know, that's a good one. And it's been something that has I've been dealing with for a while. Um, it's presence over perfection. Ooh, have and you I been know, reading Presence Over Perfect? No, I ordered that book and I haven't read it, but it's sitting on my desk and it's something that, like, I see the cover every morning when I wake up and I'm like, you're right, you're right. And, like, transitioning from the role of nurse where we had a lot of autonomy, but really someone was making all the decisions to making the decisions as a provider has been an interesting challenge. And I like having that autonomy. And I have a provider at my clinic that... I work directly with, and so I never feel like I'm alone, but there's a difference in being perfect for my patients and being present and yeah. saying, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but I can find out and I'll call you. Yeah. Or saying like, you know what? You just need to cry. Let's just sit and cry. Like, yeah. I can't be perfect for everybody, but I can be present. And being present for people is far more important than being perfect for them. Yeah. Because they're going to get more out of their experience and relationships. And it should be a relationship with your provider. You should feel there's nothing about a women's health provider that makes you comfortable. You are not going to sign up to go have a pap smear done every single year. It's just one of those things you're like, ugh. But you should feel comfortable enough to be like, this is really awkward. How was your weekend kind of deal? Yeah. Like, and they should make you feel comfortable enough to where you're like, I get that it's uncomfortable but I don't feel nervous. I don't feel afraid. I don't yeah. feel like I can't have conversations that I need to be having. And so on your end of things, like being that comfortable person, being like knowing that you don't have to be perfect, that you don't have to have all the answers necessarily, like that you can go find them. And mm-hmm. like, has that been true in your personal life too? Like Totally, for sure. And you know, I always, like part of me always wants to have like dinner parties and the perfect tablescape and all this random stuff. And it just doesn't happen that way. You know, life gets in the way where it's more important to be with somebody who maybe lost a family member or who just had a bad day and who has a hangnail and just wants to cry about it. Like (laughs) it's more important to be there than it is to have the perfect relationship or to have the conversation, the hard conversations of, Hey, maybe you shouldn't date this guy. Like, Hey, maybe it's not always perfect, but there's perfection in being present. I like that. Oh, you're gonna love that book. Um, the book's by Shauna Nyquist. I'll link to it in the show notes. But it's I've actually just started reading it again. Mm-hmm. It's like on my coffee table downstairs. Um, but I've been reading it again, and I just love it because, um, it's gosh, that's a lesson for like all the time. Oh, yes, for all and of it's us. a constant reminder too. It's not something that you can just learn and be done with. Yep. Yep. Um, okay, so my second question is, what's something random that's been bringing you joy lately? Um, Matt, when I was out of town a couple weeks ago, he made a fire pit in the backyard. Yes. And we'd had this, like, great little one that was, like, a portable one that my dad gave us, and he took to Titans games and all this crazy stuff. But Matt, like, built one in the backyard. Yeah. And it's so fun. Like, it's just good memories of being a kid and bonfires and having that, like, relaxing time to go out and light a fire and sit outside, and especially now that it's chilly and Mm -hmm. it's nice. 
Oh, I love that. Um, I'm coming over. So, yep. Just so you know. <laughs> um, what, uh, who's a woman who's been inspiring you lately? Okay. Someone who really inspires me. Her name is Catherine Wolf. Okay. Her husband's name is Jay Wolf. And they are with Hope Heals Ministry. Okay. So she, a couple years ago, delivered and had a stroke and was intubated and on life support for a couple months, has totally changed her body. She, one side of her face, one side of her body is completely paralyzed, deals with blood thinners and all that stuff. But she is just probably one of the strongest women, women I've ever encountered. And her positivity is like, it just radiates and take making lemonade from lemons and kind of taking the situation and like just total brutal honesty of, you know what, this is really awful, but I've got to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just amazing to kind of watch their story. And they've started this camp for kids that have had um, different issues and maybe maybe have like facial deformities and different deformities that, and it's just a camp where they can just go be kids and go be, and even adults go. And it's just, it's amazing. They are just so inspiring. Love that. Oh, we'll link to them in the show notes too. Um, and this has been so fun. You are the best. And I'm so happy that I got to introduce the girls to you. And thank you for letting us just totally pick your brain this morning. I'm Absolutely. so grateful. This was so fun. Happy to talk about it whenever. And this was great. I'm glad we could. Oh, oh my gosh. I love that conversation. You guys, don't you just love Anne? I am so glad that I got to introduce y'all to her. So one thing I wanted to mention quickly is that I know that we talked about a lot in today's episode. And so if you ever want to find the links to any of those things, all you have to do is go to my website. It's stephaniemaywilson.com slash blog. And for every episode, we'll have a blog post with all the show notes and all the links will be there for everything we talked about today. Guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I can't tell you how much it means to me to have you here at Girls Night. Now, before you go, I want to ask you guys just the teeniest little favor. Would you guys mind taking 30 seconds to leave a rating and a review for the podcast? The way that iTunes knows to suggest the podcast to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our girls' nights. So if you would take just one second to do that, it would be so helpful. And thank you so much to all of you who have left all of those beautiful, amazing five-star reviews already. I cannot tell you how much that means to me. Friends, that's all we have for today, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Girls' Night, and I cannot wait to see you there.